Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Uh, let me say welcome to Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. We are in a series right now called Heaven and Hell. Last week, we reflected on the craziness that our world doesn't think about heaven and hell more often. We kind of feel like if they're real, then you should really be thinking about them a lot, and that should be a regular part of conversation. So last week, we talked about how do we get there What's like, what's my uh, requirements to get into heaven? If you missed last week, I'd invite you to go back and watch it. Uh, we baptized a work glove and uh, we, we passed out some cards that had the ABCs of salvation on them. And if you want one of those cards, we get a lot more in the back. In fact, if you just want to grab a stack of them and hand them out to people on the street or whatever, whatever you want to do with it, uh, we'd invite you to grab some of those on your way out today. But today, for those of us who have figured out, okay, I, I've done the ABCs, I've done the steps of salvation, and I am on my way to heaven, I want to then have the conversation of, okay, what is heaven? And, and what happens when we die for those of us who are Christians? Because we can pursue the end of life in one or two different two ways. We can live in the now knowing about the future in one of two different ways. I'm, my family are diehard Chiefs fans. Like, too much. Like, we take it too far. Uh, most of you have recognized the beauty of the Chiefs. Many of you have not. But some of my family are such diehard Chiefs fans that they don't even watch the games. Now, I know that seems weird. However, when you are too in love with something, sometimes you can take it to an unhealthy level and the stress level that they experience and the anxiety that they experience while they're watching the Chiefs games means that they cannot and stay healthy and watch Chiefs games. So what do they do? They, at the, after the game, decide to look at the score of the game and if they won the game, then they go back and watch the game knowing what's happened because now it's, I can, I can, manage and I can celebrate the good stuff. And when the bad stuff happens, I can put it in perspective and be like, it doesn't matter. We're still going to win. But if we lose the game, they do everything they can to forget about it. I don't want to know that the game happened. I want to do something to make myself not think about the Chiefs game because we lost and I can't handle a loss. So today, what I want to do to you, for you is tell you about the end of the game so that you can go through this life knowing that good things are coming. Because I think one reason a lot of people just put heaven out of mind, like they don't want to think about hell because it's just too, I mean, if seriously, if that's a real thing, then I can't even manage, I don't even think about it. I just need to run in the opposite direction. I don't want it to be a part of my regular thinking. And so they choose not to think about it. But if you know you're going to win in the end, then you can make it through. Paul told the Corinthians, oh, death. This is like a defiant statement. This is, this is like, if you know, if you have no doubt in your mind that Jesus is who he says he is and that what you believe is true, this is the type of thing you would say. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? O death, you are a loser. You've got nothing on me. You can't touch me. I'm impervious to you, death. Because here's the good news. I know the end score of this life and Christians, we win. I can enjoy this life. I can go through even the hard times of this life because I know that at the end of this life, I am on the winning team. The score is Jesus one, death zero. I can make it through. I don't have to put it out of mind. I can actually bring it to mind. I can set my mind on things above. I can bring my attention to heaven knowing that it is my eternal destination. He says this, thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we look forward to heaven enough. I don't think we comprehend. I don't think we believe God when he tells us that we should look forward to heaven. So today I want to talk about what, what do we know about heaven? Not the Hollywood fluffy clouds, angels playing harps junk. I want to talk about what does the Bible actually tell us about heaven? I think some of us actually don't look forward to heaven because we have some weird idea. We think heaven is a 24-7 church service and I've got to sit through my preaching for eternity. And so why would I want to go to heaven? I think heaven is so much better than we can possibly comprehend. And our ideas just, we can't, we don't have an idea. We just can't grasp it. So the Bible gives us metaphors, gives us images, and it just says, you should just, you can't imagine it. It's too good. So let me just give you things like pearly gates and golden streets. Are there really going to be pearly gates and golden streets in heaven? No. Why does it tell us that? It's like the best thing on earth is like the worst thing in heaven. It, like gold, you think it's so valuable and it's so important in your, your world. It's like pavement. It's asphalt in heaven. The best of what you can think about is just the worst of what's in heaven. That's what God, that's what God tells us about heaven. John has a vision of heaven and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. This, what we're experiencing, goes away, and it's recreated as something better. In other words, heaven is a physical place. Our eternal destination is a physical place. God is going to recreate the heaven that exists today, and he's going to recreate the earth that exists today. And somehow the new creation, those two things recreated, make up heaven. And then he says, and there won't be any sea. What does that mean? Why, why would he add that in there? Well, in many ancient cultures, the sea, they believed, there was all this mythology around the sea being portals to hell. And if you could, they couldn't, but if you could swim down to the bottom of the sea, 
You would find all these portals to hell and there's these sea creatures in the sea that come out of hell and these monsters are going to get you. Also, the sea is where enemies attack from in order to attack them. So they just, they, everything bad was the sea except for the food that they got out of it. And he's like, so all those things that you fear, it's all gone. All the pain that you experience as a result of evil attacks in this world, it's all gone in heaven. It's defeated. And now Satan can no longer come from those portals and attack you. Now evil spirits can no longer come and make you miserable because death has been defeated. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. This is very different than the Hollywood idea of heaven. Heaven is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her children. We're not going there. It's coming to us. Heaven will be a better version of earth. Sometimes we think that when we get to heaven, we're going to be just like God. And we're going to be omniscient and we're going to be perfect in every way. And we're going to have all the superpowers you could possibly think of. I don't think that's true at all. I mean, look at, look at the resurrected Jesus and you looked at what scripture tells us. It kind of gives us a glimpse. No, we're going to be like we are, just a better version of what we are. We will still have the joys of discovery, the joys of art, of entertainment. We're still going to experience the good of what we experience in this life, but we're going to experience them in better ways in the next. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And that's really what heaven is. You, you talk about what's there, what is really important about what is there is the presence of God. Where God is, that is heaven. If you are with God, you are in a form of heaven. And that is why we say that in our communion with God in this life, we can actually help to usher heaven into this world as we draw more and people, more people to him. As we introduce more people to him, we more and more bring his presence to this world and make a version of heaven in this world. But the heaven that we will experience when Christ returns is even better than the heaven that exists today. The new heaven, the recreated heaven. John says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can you imagine? He's not talking about the happy tears. There will be no more pain. It's all gone. The Bible tells us that we will have jobs in heaven. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam didn't just sit there doing nothing bored. Adam had jobs in the garden. But it tells us that we will enjoy them, that our jobs will be a purpose. We will find fulfillment from them. And we will work because we want to work. I think some people wonder, how could I enjoy heaven if everything is good there? 
And I think this is a logical question. Like, why would I want to play golf if I always hit a perfect hit? If every hit is a hole-in-one, then why would I play golf? Well, the first couple times, that would be awesome. But after that, it'd just be like, what's the point? I'm just going through the motions over and over and over again. I think that's because we have a bad definition of good. Just because everything is good in heaven doesn't mean that we're going to have all the superpowers we could ever want and and we're not going to have any competition or struggle. Because the reality is we don't become God. We, We are recreated. We become better versions of ourselves. But so often we equate good with boring because we don't think of work or competition or achievement as good. But think about it in this life, when do you feel fulfilled? It's, because, it's when you work hard and achieve something. It's when you work hard and you become good at the competition that you're getting good at. It's when you are in a good relationship with somebody. That's when you feel fulfillment in life. It's not like those things disappear. We just get to experience a better version of them. Most people think that heaven is like this whitewashed uh, or, or this boring, well, they think of the good place. Every person gets to live in a home that perfectly matches his or her true essence. Cool. So I guess that's why my house, for example, is this adorable little cottage, whereas other people might have homes that are bigger, like that one. Exactly. Oh, I'm so happy you get it. Anybody seen The Good Place? Oh, man. I don't recommend, well, the theology is horrible, but I recommend it because it's hilarious. But it helps you understand what does the world think about heaven? This is their portrayal of what heaven is like. Well, if you love something on earth, it's probably because there is something good in it. That doesn't mean everything in it is good. But if you love it, that's probably because you're getting a glimpse of something good in it. If you love golf, then you're going to love it more in heaven. If you like playing with your dog, you're going to love it more in heaven. If you like watching movies, then you're going to love them more in heaven. If you like eating shrimp, well, imagine a shrimp vending machine. You went too far forward. A never-ending shrimp dispensary. (gasps) (laughs) This is the dream. It is? Yeah. Nobody try mystery flavor. It's white chocolate and it is nasty. (laughs) If you love it on earth... It's going to be better in heaven. Like, look forward to this place. It's going to be awesome. Stop wondering, because what it reveals is a little bit of doubt in God when he tells us it's going to be awesome. Yeah, you can't comprehend it, but you should just know it's going to be awesome. But I think some of the the hesitations people have are a little bit difficult for us because sin has clouded our understanding of what good is. Sometimes we wonder things like, how could I enjoy heaven if someone I love went to hell? 
This is a hard one, right? Many of us have this exact question. But I think we have to put this question into perspective a little bit by saying that the life that you are experiencing is the blink of an eye. It, I mean, compared to eternity, this life is nothing. It is so small. It is so short. The relationships that you build here in this world are so short and so insignificant except for one. The only relationship that you can build in this world that you're really going to reflect on for any significant period of time in heaven is one. And it's the one relationship that lets you get there. And it's your relationship with God. But I do think this is a question that's difficult enough that it, it, it is worth taking some time to answer. So let me also say this. We don't know who goes to heaven, number one. We're not the judge. We don't know what happened in somebody's last moments before they died. I mean, do you think the thief on the cross family thinks that he's in heaven? Yet in his last moment, he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. They don't know that. You don't know what, hap what somebody does in their last moments. And you are not the judge to determine if they're going to heaven or not. Second, I would say everything we love about people in this world is a gift from God. We, we love the companionship that people give to us. We love the relationships and the, the interactions that we've had with them. We love all of the things that the memories that we've shared with people. But those things are a gift from God. And we will have them to such a greater extent. Such a better version of those things in heaven. And we will experience them on a, an entirely new level. I'd also say that true joy does not come from experiences that we've had in this life. True joy comes from God. God makes us joyful. So we can pursue experiences in this life so that we can feel happiness. But then we also have to recognize that the happiness from those experiences, even the closest personal interactions we have with people, are temporary. God gives us joy. The Bible tells us that he gives us peace that passes understanding. It's incomprehensible. It's not logical. And he will give us that kind of peace. He will give us that kind of joy in heaven to a whole new level. Somebody, I, I heard uh, actually one of the arguments I was having on YouTube with an atheist last week. Somebody said, so God just makes us drunk all the time? I was like, not exactly, but if there is something good that you, if there's something you like about being drunk, it's because that there, if you experience happiness as a result of being drunk, it's just because you're getting a small glimpse. But imagine being drunk without the negative side effects. Imagine that feeling of being happy without the negative side effects that come from drunkenness. God gives you something that you cannot get from you, for yourself and you can't get from experiences in this life. John says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So will anybody sin in heaven? No. How do we know? Well, there will be no, there will be no more death. 
And what are the wages of sin? Death. So there can't be sin if there's no death. Someone might say, but if you're saying heaven is like the Garden of Eden, didn't the snake tempt Eve in the Garden of Eden to, do, to sin? And didn't she sin in the Garden of Eden? Well, heaven is like the Garden of Eden, but it's so much better than the Garden of Eden. Heaven will be like the Garden of Eden, but it will be a better version of the Garden of Eden. Our resurrected bodies will be better than these bodies, our human bodies. The new earth will be better than the old earth. The new garden will be better than the old garden. We will be better than Adam because we will have the knowledge of sin without the desire to sin. Remember Adam and Eve, why they sinned was they, they wanted the knowledge of good and evil. It was appealing to them. It was attracted to them. So they took it and they appeased their desires. We will have the knowledge that they wanted without the desire to sin. He says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So I hope that we can at least trust God when he says that heaven is going to be awesome. Even if we can't imagine it, we trust him. And that makes us want it more. So I'd like to spend the rest of the time today talking, not exactly a timeline, but kind of an order of events that's going to happen from now until your eternity. What's going to happen? Well, step one, your body is going to die. You're not going to die, Christians. Your body is going to die. Because your body is nothing but dust. Mom, he called me butt dust. No, I said your body is nothing but dust. But when your body dies, you are with God. Some people have this argument about cremation. Can we be cremated because that's burning our body and our body has to be resurrected? And I'm like, whether you burn your body or you let it naturally decompose, it's dust. One way or the other, it's becoming dust. And when we go to be with God, we look forward to the day when we will receive new bodies. After Jesus rose, he said this, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So Jesus resurrected. That's our promise. That's our future. Jesus received a new body and that's what we will receive. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't an angel on a fluffy cloud. He wasn't just a spirit. He got a new body. It was a cooler body. It was a better body. It even implies that he could like walk through walls. I don't know what our new bodies are going to get to do, but that sounds pretty cool. But Jesus got a physical body and so will we. Paul wrote this, the body that is sown, that's the body we have now, is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It's resurrected imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. And the great thing about the new body is that it will put things back to the way they were supposed to be before sin screwed them up. 
We will have bodies that were not screwed up by our sins, by our gluttony. Amen. I'll take that body. We will have, res- you know, have you ever wondered why when Jesus resurrected from the dead and he appeared to some of his followers and they didn't immediately recognize him? Like we have three stories, I think, in scripture where he appears to his followers and they, have, they don't realize who they're talking to. Why is that? It's because he was him, but he didn't have the body that was beat up. He didn't have the body that was aged. He didn't have the body that was screwed up by sin and all the pain that he had gone through in his life. His new resurrected body was a better version of him. So once they realized who it was, they realized, oh my. And that is what made them so excited when Paul goes and he tells the Greeks about Jesus's resurrected, resurrection. They're like, I would like a new body. I want, that's what was appealing to them. That's what he led with. You can be resurrected. You can, re, you can receive a new body. But Christians, here's the reality. So our bodies are gonna die and then our souls will be with God. You remember after Jesus' best friend dies, Lazarus. Lazarus died and Jesus is talking to Lazarus' sister, Martha. And she's really upset about her brother dying. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus had been in the grave at this point during this conversation for four days. Actually, the King James Version says, Martha says to the Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I think we need to start using this word in our vocabulary. We, we tried a version of it. We say, but Jesus, he stanky. That's what we would say in our world today. Isn't the King James Version just so powerful? It's so poetic. We should go back to using the King James Version because I would like to say the word stinketh more often. No. So what does Jesus say? I know his body's decomposing. I know it's covered in maggots. I know it's a, a filthy mess. Is that going to hold Jesus back? Is, is a decomposed body going to keep Jesus from resurrecting your body? What does Jesus say about Lazarus's stinketh body? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not dependent on your body. I don't care what condition your body is in. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I made you the first time and I can make you again. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Christians, you are immortal. When your body dies, you go to be with the Lord. We don't know all the details about what we're going to look like and what life is going to be like and does it happen in the blink of an eye and all of a sudden we end up at the return of Christ. I don't know all the details of that. But what I do know is what Paul says. He says, we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. There are two criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus when he's being crucified. One criminal mocked Jesus, but the other one said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't think there is a timeline like we experience it in heaven. So is he actually saying 
timeline-wise, you'll be in heaven today. No, I, what I think he is actually saying is that you're not gonna have to wait for it. That when this body dies, you will immediately be with God. That it doesn't mean that in the timeline of time, all of what heaven will be, the new heaven or new earth will all be in that moment at that time. But he, he is saying that today you will be with God. You don't have to wait. So step three, we die, our bodies die, our souls are with God, and then someday Jesus will return to earth. When is this going to be? You know, I hear a lot of pastors predicting when this is going to be. I hear a lot of people say, well, there's another evidence that Jesus is coming soon. I don't see that. I don't, now maybe, maybe Jesus comes by the time I finish this message. I don't know. But what if we are the early church? What if he's not coming for another 30,000 years? What if, honestly, when I read scripture, that's the conclusion I come more to. We don't know. But here's what we do know. When he comes, we will get new bodies. And remember, your body will, be, will replace your new body, but you're, you're, not, you're not a different person. You are still the person that God created you to be. You're still going to have the purpose that God gave to you. You will still be you. You still have your ambitions, if they're good ambitions. Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven, come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So that's when the believers receive their new bodies. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds like ushering a king down to heaven. We'll go up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. We will reign with God in the new heavens and in the new earth. It will be a physical place. We will have physical bodies. We will have real pleasure. We will have real relationships and we will have no pain. It's going to be better than we can possibly imagine. And then he says, after we've received our new bodies, and then there is a judgment. We will all face judgment. Now, some people say that we face judgment right when we die. Some people say that it won't happen until Jesus returns. Some people say that everybody will be judged. Some people say that only non-believers will be judged. Honestly, I can't figure it all out and I've been researching it for many years. There's good arguments for all these little details about the timeline and what it's gonna look like. But here's what I do know. The author of the Hebrew says, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. It's already done. He will come again to deal with evil with our sin. Bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Our sins are already dealt with. The sins you've committed in the past and the sins that you will committed, commit in the future, they are dealt with. It is done. And someday I'm going to stand before God to be judged. 
and he is going to ask why I deserve to be in heaven. And my response will be one word. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be, I was a good person. It's not going to be, I went to church. It's not going to be, I gave to charity. My response is going to be, Jesus, it's my only hope. I have nothing else. I'm not good enough, I promise. My only hope to participate in this eternal paradise is Jesus to receive the gift that he has given to me. It has nothing to do with me. Can you imagine that in this moment, Jesus will say to you, if you give him your life, if you put your faith in him, he will say to you what he said to that thief on the cross. If you die today, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus told a parable once of a master who had entrusted his servants with some tasks and and then he went away. And to the faithful servant, the one who had received gift and a calling on their lives and had been given purpose in their life, who worked hard in the time that they were allotted to do what God had called them to do. And to that servant who was faithful to the calling, he got to hear from the master, well done, my good and faithful servant. Someday when you stand before God, will you hear the words, well done, I personally believe that there are rewards for service to God in heaven. I believe that some people will receive rewards in heaven for what they have done in this world. Will you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Because let me tell you what that requires. What are, if you want to hear those words, I'm not talking about getting into heaven. I'm just saying, if you want to hear those words, what it requires of you is to set your eyes on things above, to draw your attention to eternity, to not be distracted by all the problems of this world, all the pain of this world. Because those who are able to recognize that they are going to experience trials and pain in this world, yet still persevere because they know that their hope is not in this world will receive those gifts that he has promised for us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I think that's what those of us who have a good, honest perspective of what heaven will be are able to do. I know that in the end we win. And I can, I can persevere through the pain. I can persevere through the trials because I know that in the end I get to be with him. I get to experience the joys of eternity with God. So I can make it through. I can persevere. There are people in this room who've received diagnosis. There's people who have experienced relational pain. There's people watching at home right now who can't be in here for physical reasons. You experience pain in this world. But persevere. But take heart because he has overcome the world. 
Satan has been defeated. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But it's coming. The day is coming. Persevere and know that your pain is temporary. And one day you will be with him in paradise. God, I thank you for your gift of grace. God, I pray that you would remind us how great your gifts are, how good your love is, and that somehow in the midst of the pain and the trials of this world, we will be able to set our mind on things above, to reject the distractions of Satan, to, distract the, the, the distract, to reject the distractions of this world, and seek you alone, to go after you alone with all of our hearts and everything that we have. God, today we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.